Here we are. This is it. This is the start. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Talks with Thompson podcast. I appreciate you for uh, tuning in, listening, however uh, you get your, your podcast delivered to you. Um, I am talking with my friend, Dr. Amy Jowman, uh, today, whom is the author of this book, <laughs> Comprehensive Field Guide for Social Media Strategies, uh, as part of the um, National Institute for Social Media, where she is the chief learning officer. And uh, if you know anything about me and all the different hats I wear, Amy also wears an equal amount of different hats. Um, so there's a lot of different things that, that she's involved in. She's an HR education professional, an author, teacher, um, international speaker, conference goer, uh, you name it. Uh, well, don't name it because that's you're not everything, but you're a lot of things. But uh, anyway, thanks for being here. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. I think you covered most of the big bucket things that I do. And I do have a, a portfolio career, as they call it. So, yes, yeah, uh, a portfolio career. That That's actually a very operative term, uh, considering who uh, who are serving with this podcast, primarily uh, marketing students and graphic design students at the undergraduate level, both of whom are very well aware of the importance of a portfolio uh, in their career albeit uh, this is a different one. So yeah. I was going to add in Globetrotter uh, because you have this really cool looking map behind you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a uh, zoom background either. It's a, right. it's real. It's a, I, I do this to show people like it's real. <laughs> it's three dimensional. Is that, are the, are the continents made of wood or something? They are. So that yeah. is, there are these lovely maps that you can find a handful of places make them and um, they're wooden and they're, I don't know, probably a quarter of an inch thick. And so they do pop off the wall and they have a, uh, it's a, you know, a constant educational opportunity behind me because the country names and capitals are burned into them as well. So it makes nice. for, yeah, it makes for some interest. It's also fun because I installed it myself, which means it was done poorly. And occasionally like a country will fall off the wall in the middle of a meeting. So that's always an extra little adventure for everyone I'm working with. So that's nice too. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's like uh, those with a portfolio career can do a lot of things really well, but sometimes uh, there's just some things that seem so, you know, like it'd be easy to do. And I, I'm the same way. Like I'm not crafty at all, despite having a terminal degree in the arts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, my my creativity and art skills manifest differently than than the fine art aspect of things. But uh, well, and people yeah. managing a portfolio and multiple talents, all that stuff. I think they actually have a little bit of an advantage uh, in that they because they become experts in certain areas, they see the value of experts. So they, they recognize this is what I do really well. This is what I love. So I, I, this is where I should put my energy. Uh, I always use the example of repairs around my house. Um, you know, could I figure out how to fix something? You know, like, could I grab a YouTube video, uh, you know, pull all this stuff together yeah. probably in a couple of hours you know to your point of being a you know a, <laughs> a person of average intelligence can can do lots of stuff for themselves but it's it's oftentimes a matter of time energy and interest and is there a way for me through my community to spend my time energy and interest in a better way and then and connect to the expert who could who could uh, come in and be in and out of my house in half an hour and have my lovely gas fireplace up and running instead of me trying to fix it for four hours with a YouTube That's video. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, you're, I can feel that in my soul at the moment. Um, well, uh, speaking of, you know, time, talent, treasure, et cetera, um, I was really excited to, to, you know, invite you to the podcast and, and share a bit of your background with, um, my design students with my marketing students, uh, in particular under the, the framing of, of your work with the National Institute for Social Media. Um, you know, the, I'm finding that in, in practice, especially in the higher ed sector, uh, but it's not exclusive to just higher ed, but generally in marketing practice, marketers are 
um, you know, there's this, this unicorn philosophy where they have to be able to do a lot of different things. Like the, they, the entire spectrum of anything you can do in marketing seems like you have to be, you're expected to do that upon graduation. Mm -hmm. And, um, sadly that's not the case. And that was sort of the premise behind this, this podcast was to, you know, uh, provide insight on practical experiences in marketing and design. So where, where marketers are being looked at as, you know, starting to become unicorns and do a lot of different things, um, and maybe not really master or specialize one thing, but do a bunch of things average or above average, um, designers too are have been faced with that uh particular plight for many years decades even i I would say the past uh decade and a half especially it's become a really big problem where um graphic designers have to do they have to code they have to do video they have to write they have to do social media on top of doing print design and logos and all of that stuff really really well and then marketers uh, are having to learn more about design because there's like this blending of, of skills across these two specific disciplines. And, and that's where I'm kind of presently at. So talking about like multiple careers in one, I mean, I never necessarily saw myself managing several social media accounts, but yet here I am. And I've had to learn how to do that the hard way. So uh, I'm interested, uh, if that's the premise, I'm interested in how you came into uh, the social media vocation and uh, what was your entry point and what was it that really kind of, you know, sparked this interest uh, for you enough to write the book on it. <laughs> and it is the book, by the way. <laughs> well, so that's a... Um... It's a great question. Uh, I love people's origin stories. I think a lot of times they have uh, something in it for everybody, right? Like, so you can hear about someone entering HR or marketing or customer service or whatever it is. And, and no matter what field you're in, a lot of times their story resonates or you have a, a piece to take away from it. But my NISM story uh, and is ultimately my certification story because I was uh, working in a Fortune 500 company. I had the best job ever, uh, no plan to leave uh, until one day it wasn't the best job ever. And that is a whole other story. I mean, it was, um, it, it was really a series of things that just, uh, and one day I woke up and I was like, oh, look at this. I, I am in a job that I like over time, it, it just somehow became something that I, I wasn't excited to do anymore. And the interesting piece of it was I was in a learning and development space, but we were a international organization that didn't do online learning. So I was a director level professional that that was, was managing international components with no online element. And because I didn't have online experience, I found myself in the unique position where I, I couldn't get, I was overqualified and underqualified for every single job that I applied for. I had too much experience for entry-level L&D jobs and I didn't have enough online learning to manage. Um, like, so, so that was, not good. Yeah. So I made a deal with myself that if I secured a long-term consulting gig, I would take it because that would allow me to build up my portfolio uh, and add leadership in that online space. So I went out looking, um, found the perfect opportunity with a consulting agency. It was a six-month gig, great pay. They loved my background and hired me sight unseen. So I, I didn't actually even meet the, the client. It was kind of through an agency, but so I quit my secure full-time job um, and, you know, felt, felt good about it. I had six months to get settled as a consultant in, in this gig, um, politely resigned, which by the way, if this opportunity ever comes up, I'm about to tell you why this is very important. Never burn bridges. So politely resigned. And then three days after I resigned, the company I was going to canceled their contract. So I had no job uh, and I had just quit the other uh, job that I had. So I could have kept it 
And um, I decided not to. I just said, you know, I'm going to go out and I, I just ha- I'm stuck where I am. So I have to go build the, I have to go build my experience. So where I had a gap with online learning and education, and I, I, I had all these components, but that, that communicating online through social media was this area that I knew about, but I didn't have anything that could demonstrate what I knew. So, so there was nothing on my resume where someone could say, ah, this proves that she knows what she's doing, even if I did, right? So that is actually the, practically the definition for someone looking for a certification. Um, and so I just started doing an internet search. And I, the, so to date, NISM is still the only platform agnostic uh, social media strategy certification. I, I didn't want a, a Hootsuite certification. I didn't want a Facebook certification. I wanted a social media strategy certification because that was the space that I was in. So I got connected with NISM. I reviewed the candidate handbook, like what the exam covered, because I really wanted to make sure that this was gonna, gonna represent what, what I was doing. And just like any certification, I of course had gaps, you know, like no, nobody knows everything as we already talked about. Um, so I did a prep course, took the exam, and I really fell in love with the organization and what they were trying to do to up the legitimacy of social media work. So essentially by providing people the opportunity to become a certified strategist, it allows people who have that knowledge and understanding of the business side of social media to separate themselves from the people who wanna hang a shingle because they're tired of their job on Friday and wanna do something different on Monday, right? Like it, it really is a way for people to confidently, so business owners to confidently hire a social media um, support person. And uh, what you were talking about before about marketing professionals coming in and having to do all these different things. The other big challenge with that is a lot of the people bringing marketers in can't even write a good job description and they can't provide direction. They don't know, like if you, the employee are making a mistake they, they don't even know because they, it's, it's just such an unfamiliar space for so many people. So that's yet another benefit of the certification. You have the certification community then, like you have the people that you can reach out to and say, Hey, I'm trying to do this. You know, my boss thinks I should go this way. Does that sound right to all of you? Like, so it it kind of strengthens that as especially in social media. So. And, uh, so uh, thank you. Thank you for that. And, you know, what I, the, one of the big things I took from that was advocacy on so many different levels for social media strategy, just unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the fact that the, the program is, is agnostic relative to platforms uh, speaks very uh, well to its flexibility and range. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I research a lot. There are two specific things that I research for my students. Um, I'm always looking at online learning, uh, opportunities, platforms, Coursera, edX, all of those things. And then I'm also getting jobs, uh, jobs delivered to my email. So anything labeled marketing and design across Indeed, ZipRecruiter, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm trying to look at everything. And you know, you, you nailed it when you were talking about the, the job descriptions and how um, false they can be uh, just kind of by virtue of, of the ignorance of the writer. Uh, I'm not saying that that's a, a blanket problem across the whole spectrum, but uh, it, is, it is a huge issue. Yeah, me, um, yeah. And a, I would say that a lot of the expectation of this unicornism, so to speak, <laughs> is because people can't write good job descriptions. Um, So I'm always having to, you know, educate my students on why exactly that is. And so anyway, coming back to to the advocacy, uh, one of the other things that I look at are certification programs. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Hootsuite, HubSpot, um, Twitter, Facebook, they all have their own version. And some of them are free. The Facebook one costs like a thousand dollars, something like that. It's expensive. And you know, what is it, what does it get you in the end? So can you talk a little bit about why, uh, and you may, you kind of already address it, but maybe in a more pointed way, why certification is, 
important for career development and mm. how and how is the NISM certification perceived by employers? Mm-hmm. So certification uh, as a benefit to a career, just in general, uh, the probably the easiest way to describe it is to talk about some of the comparisons between a traditional education, a certificate, and a certification. So if you have someone who is traditionally educated uh, up through high school, through a two-year degree, through a four-year degree, through a graduate degree, doesn't matter, they uh, follow a program. And that program is in a department, in a specific category, and it, it, it probably has some sort of career path tied to it. So this is... Um, a path that many of us have followed. And, and we've seen a change in the job market in even the last 20 years or so, where 80 years ago, when you graduated from high school or maybe college, you would get a job and that would be the job you would have literally for your entire life. Right. And then what, 40 years after that, um, we saw a new wave of working, which was you get that job right out of high school or college, you work that while you have a family and then like your kids are old enough and you start thinking like, okay, my, my kids are doing well, they're off doing their thing. Am I doing what I want to do now that I'm 40, 45, whatever. So we started to see this wave where people would have a, have a second career that would start, you know, mid career. Right. And, and kind of go, so now we're seeing not just two, but three. So we're seeing a, a, a really, another really big pivot on top of the um, job uh, people who transition jobs kind of every couple of years. So like the, um, the individuals that are, uh, have kind of a more evolutionary approach really to all of the, the work that they do, that all their professional contributions. So because of that, that makes these certificate programs, which is, I don't know anything about a topic. So I'm going to take a, like a series of courses so I can get a certificate Mm -hmm. or a certification, which is, I know about this stuff. I just need a credential to prove it. So that might, that's kind of like my path in social media. I didn't need a certificate to teach me about all the platforms and everything. I needed an external organization to say like, you know, one way or another, this person got this information and, and she should, um, and she can, you know, benefit in, in, in whatever way the, the credential states. So from a standpoint of looking at how, um, whether you go to the NISM uh, uh, site and say like, oh, I need that uh, community management course, right? Because you want to learn like a certificate, you want to learn mm-hmm. from zero to a hundred about something or if you're looking for that credential, it's just plugging that, that in based on where you're at with your career. So, the, so then flipping to the other side, so that's the candidate, right? That's the person that's trying to be seen out in the world. The, the flip side of that is the employer. So now employers are becoming more and more savvy, especially with things like digital badging. And they're learning that, like if I click on an SMS badge from the National Institute for Social Media, I can go through and I can, I can essentially get information about what this person has earned. I can see that it's current, right? Because badges have the, you know, the, the updates. So I can validate that this person is currently an active certification holder. I can see information about what they know. And I can see this external organization that is validating that this person has demonstrated this, this level of knowledge. So I see it not as a, as a way that will uh, get you a job guaranteed, right? Because you're, it's, you're still a human. People mm-hmm. still have to pick you as you're transitioning um, through, through jobs or looking to make career changes. But certificates and certifications, continuing education courses, all of that definitely make you stand out as an individual who's committed to continuous improvement, which every organization is interested in. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, so my, so relative to that, my sort of NISM story here was that 
Um, you know, I, I was tenured faculty uh, on, in design and I had been moderating all of these different social media accounts for years and having, I got no support, absolutely none. And when you don't get, a, when you don't get support from your colleagues or peers um, and you're trying to promote them by way of social media, it's not sustainable. And um, eventually I just kind of gave up on it and decided, hey, you know what? I'm gonna use these channels to promote myself because I'm the only person producing things that are newsworthy, that are worth sharing. And um, I did that for a while and I got a lot of uh, good success out of that. And I was able to cultivate a particular professional identity. And then I left teaching. So it's like, I did all of that work and then it's like, uh uh-oh. What do I do? How do I pivot from this? Like my, when I left full-time teaching to come to the staff marketing side, um, my professional identity was shaken up a little bit. So when I started to recalibrate and, you know, I I got a new Twitter account, I started connecting with the right people um, in in higher ed social, uh, the higher ed social group on, on Facebook and and eventually that led me to you and Jen, uh, Jen Radke, who runs uh, NISM, and then all of the other people. And it's like, wow, I, f- I found my tribe. This is a really great supportive group of people that really want you to succeed. And, um, and then I, I applied for the scholarship, got it. And now I'm in the process of studying and eventually taking the, the practice test and then the, the full-on test, uh, hopefully uh, later this spring, early summer. And you'll do great. And yeah, yes, thank you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I I hope so. And and I'm I I am practicing and studying simultaneously. So like for me, you know, I got my MFA in 2011. So I have been out of school for a very long time. And I was in a PhD program in the fall of 19. And two things that I learned from that particular experience was, um, I was not a good PhD candidate. Um, I mean, I met all of the criteria on paper and everything, but like me watching another person teach who had just a little bit more experience than me, like, I I don't want to say I was cynical, but, and perhaps I was unfairly critical, but like, it was just hard for me to learn. Um, so I dropped that and then decided, you know, I have to really start to look at professional development and relearning. And for me, that, in, that involved learning how to learn again, right? Yeah. So, um, so for my students, what I tell them is, you know, let my situation kind of be a cautionary tale and take a, take a hard look at these certifications now, like when you're a student, uh, shortly after you graduate, but certainly before grad school, because if you're still in that headspace, then doing the studying, doing the practice tests, all of the other things will be a bit more, uh, it'll be easier, I would mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I even, yeah, I even talk to students about that when they are contemplating, because in my role at St. Mary's, um, I run an HR graduate program and occasionally students will be contemplating taking a term or a semester off. And what you just described, even for that short period of time is something that I talk to them about because you get in a, a routine and a mindset and it isn't just you, it's, mm-hmm. it's your community that gets into that, right? Like your family understands you as a student and that sometimes you have to disappear and go do homework and, right. and they shift and mold around that as well over time. So if you're already in that flow, I completely agree. Go like, keep it going. If you want to do it a little, you know, a little bit more with the certification, cause it just makes it so much easier. It, it always makes me think of when I finished my doctorate, I'll never forget it. Cause there's this point where you, you finish the, you know, all the writing and you're, you're not quite graduated yet, but like you're, you're like kind of coasting, right. Cause like all yeah. the hard, hard work is done. And I went to a birthday party, uh, my friend's um, child's birthday party, and like eight people were like, "I haven't seen you in so long. I didn't. Oh, I didn't realize you'd be coming today." But you know, and I was like, "Yes, I am reemerging as a human person, active in you know in my life." But but that's exactly it. And and 
and it's more than just you, but it is, but it's you as well. But it, but it's also a, people feel that stress of like, all of a sudden everybody needs all this stuff from me or, or um, I can't believe my boss wants me to travel and, and do this, that, and the other thing. It's like, well, it's, it's because you, you, they broke that, that routine of, of what it is as to be a student. So uh, when should, uh, let's say one of my undergrad students, when should they consider doing the, uh, the social media strategy certification? Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the technical requirements you can find on the website, uh, you know, if you, if you have a four-year degree, um, you can do, uh, or even a two-year degree, uh, that is, is related. You can do the prep and, and you're, you're qualified, right? Like you can technically take the exam. Mm -hmm. I usually recommend that people have two other things. One is experience working. Um, and it doesn't have to be after graduation. Like if you had a job while you were in school and so you were doing some of this work in the real world, Mm -hmm. um, that's great. And then, uh, the second thing is a reason. And I say that because if you're doing it because you're bored or you're doing it to avoid doing something else or uh, what, we, what, we t- <laughs> what we tend to see is that prep just gets really, really drawn out. So the ideal um, candidate probably in, in your world is somebody that's coming up to the end of their program, like they're getting pretty close to graduating. They have the beauty of that routine of being, you know, in the, in the routine of studying and, you know, so they can kind of fold the extra education in and they can build on their experience uh, already in the courses they're learning. Cause there's a lot of, you know, they've recently been studying about an SDP analysis and they know what, uh, you know, compliance means. And, and they've talked about the FTC for a while. So it's kind of a nice little dovetail from that standpoint. And somebody that's graduating or getting ready to graduate has the motivation of getting a certification because you're you're probably going to be job hunting Mm -hmm. and to be able to put that certification when you think about somebody looking at uh 20 people who have applied for a job and they have the same degree and relatively similar experience it's those cases where we see that the certification really stands out again, not even just because of the certification, but because it tells that employer, this person understands that they're, they're going to get out of their professional, their professional work, what they put into it. This person right. will go the extra mile to learn, to research, to, to do it. It says something about you when you work to get an externally managed credential. Yeah, you get what you give. And if you're putting all of your effort into it, you're going to get a lot of return out of it. The effort yields its own rewards, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got the book. Look how thick this is, everybody. There's a lot of learning here, right? Um, and it, and, it's, and it's, it's wonderful. And you know, what's interesting for me is that it's, uh, it's, this is analog, right? I mean, this is, uh, I'm learning about a digital medium in an analog way. And uh, for some folks that might be a little jarring, there might be some cognitive dissonance there, I don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm finding that I like being able to step away from the computer, away from actual social media, and then just read about it from this different sort of adjacent perspective. Um, what do you think uh, the next steps are? So you've got this social media uh, strategy certification. How do, how do you think strategy in this context is going to evolve and grow over the next few years? For your the our for our podcast listeners, how will they grow with it, or do you just mean in general in the market? Um, in general, and then they can figure it out on their own. <laughs> ah, fantastic. They can figure out where they fit. So yeah. how I see strategy growing in the market is, so earlier in the, our discussion, we talked about the fact that business owners are struggling to write good job descriptions. And I stand yes. by that. That is consistently something that we are, we are still seeing. But as more informed social media professionals come into the market, 
the market itself itself is getting a little bit smarter and a little bit savvier to the degree that the questions we're asking and the expectations we're setting are improving in a good way. We're, we're seeing things like more regulation. We're seeing things like better tracking. Um, a friend of mine does law here in Minneapolis and uh, with social media as a specialty. And he was interviewed and, um, we talk about this all the time because he, he just, it popped out of his mouth. He said something to, and this was years ago, five, five, six years ago, he said, social media is like the wild, wild west. And at the time, and even still a little bit today, that was very accurate because so many things were changing and so many things were happening. And uh, black hat marketing was much sexier and much more interesting to people because they pay somebody if they could get them 10,000 hits in two hours and, it, and they right. didn't care about how to, how to do it. That, that's what I'm seeing shift. Your big companies, your people who are investing in social media professionals, investing in educated, informed marketers, they're the people that are looking for the individuals that can talk strategy and long-term goals and can explain things like budgets and what to expect and why we talk about 90 days on social media, not why we talk about, you know, what ad you want to run tomorrow, right? Like we're always looking at the big picture, why we're always making a crisis communication plan. Um, it's, it's things that we're learning from what's happening in the market. And, and we are, I think, getting smarter as a whole and how everybody studying strategy fits into this is they are becoming more in demand. So yeah. that, that cool person who could say like, Ooh, look at this one thing I did for a client is, is not as interesting anymore. They're, we're really looking for the stable Mabels that can, can write that plan and can give that, that good advice, which fortunately for NISM is, has always been our uh, core focus, so. Write the plan, give the advice, and then do the plan. Yeah, right. Well, and provide that. We talk unendingly, as you have experienced in the book, I'm sure, about key stakeholders. As, yeah. Because a big part of it, it doesn't matter. And I tell my students this all the time. It doesn't matter if you're right, if you can't convince the key players in your organization that they need to do something. So congratulations. You go home at night and you get to say, well, I was really right about that horrible thing that mm -hmm. I told them was going to happen. You still failed as a social media professional if you weren't able to convince your team, your leadership, that this, this stuff was important. And that's, that's a lot of what we talk about and a lot about of it's, it's, it's off screen, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's in the meeting rooms. It's being able to, um, another thing that a lot of times people, I, I hear, especially with newer consultants, they like to throw big, impressive numbers out and cool language and all that because they think it gives the impression that they know that they really know what they're doing. And it actually tends to have the opposite effects. It, it tends to cause people to step back from them and, and feel confused. It, you have to meet people where they are. Yep. You have to explain it to them in a way that gets them on board with what you know, what it is to do. And, and that's a, a huge piece of social media strategy. There are two particular responses to that that come to mind. The first of which is when, you know, you if, if you're presenting a big game like that, you've got the numbers, you've got nice looking artwork, whatever, that could only represent a small percentage of your entire, you know, service experience, right? So it does, it does skew the, the, the whole, uh, the, the whole spectrum of work that you've done, essentially. So I, I've dealt with folks that, that represent themselves in a big way, but it represents the minority of their work and it's misleading. Um, and that can get you into trouble, especially if to your point, you're, you're talking a big game, you're providing the specific strategy and what worked for one client and is not gonna work for any of the others. Mm -hmm. And you know that's, that's a, that's something that I've had to dispel a number of times uh, over the past few years. Like, yeah, hey, that's great that you got all of those numbers for this person. 
you're not going to get that with us because we have different demographics. We've got our community is shaped differently, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the other part to that is um, with, uh, to your point where a lot of these conversations are happening behind the computer with other people, um, especially on the strategy front, um, you, depending on what you're doing, you only get one shot at it. And that's, like, that's when um, people are screen capturing your tweets or, or your posts. And like that stuff can really get you into a crisis communication situation real quick. Yeah. And, Uh, and sometimes it isn't even depending on your market. Sometimes it isn't even what you do. Sometimes it's, it's not doing something right. mm -hmm. When people are conspicuously silent or like when they, they don't respond as, and that's everything that needs to be worked out in a, in a um, crisis communication plan and, and having that. And I don't, I do not advocate for scare tactics when talking to, to leadership with possibly this one exception. I, this is one area where I talk to them about like, Hey, I would like, you know, um, the, like use the United case where the guy got dragged off the airplane you know, let's dissect that and realize that there was nobody that made this conscious choice saying like, I don't think it's ever going to happen that we're going to have multiple videos capturing an undesirable event on one of our airplanes go viral. I choose not to, to write up how to respond to some of it. It wasn't even on the spectrum, right? So you, you have to be, you have to have a strategic plan that is is big and flexible because random things like that happen and when I when I give people that example I do so that with the hope that they realize yeah you're right they they couldn't have predicted that that was going to happen and if they had had a better and they had a plan it just could have been a little better you know like it, it just helps people understand it when they see it in their in the real world um, great advice. I wish I would have, uh, discovered that advice in, in your book sooner. Here's a, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you this sort of, uh, cautionary tale. So, uh, I'm on the board of, uh, of a local community development corporation where I live here in Pittsburgh. And, um, our community is one square mile, has about 8,000 people in it. And, um, politics are very much a concern for a lot of people, particularly the, the folks in, in my generation with young kids, and, you know, 10, 15 years in their career. Um, so we get a lot of my generation of folks, my age of folks running for local office, be it the mayor or city council and stuff like that. And um, I, I run the social media for our little nonprofit and we received a grant from the state of Pennsylvania to do, it's called a Keystone Grant. And basically what we were doing was we got a grant to photograph uh, houses in our borough that met a certain age threshold because they could get a, a plaque and basically a license to be a, a historical property, which increases your, your house. Yeah, value. for sure. And um, we... The, the nonprofit, we, we got that award, we put out a press release and, um, and then put out a few things on social media and that was it. Um, and we emailed the mayor and everything. So we felt at the time, and I wasn't a part of it, but they felt at the time they informed the public. So what ended up happening was about eight or nine months later, um, the mayor puts out a post and says, hey, uh, dear citizens of Bellevue, I just want you to be aware that this nonprofit is paying someone to photograph your houses. I don't know why. And it turned into a huge problem where I basically had to stop working for two days to handle all of this crisis comms stuff. Oh my gosh. And um, it was re- it was hyper stressful because some of these people that I'm getting messages, I rate messages from are my friends. They don't know I'm running the social media, but um, what ended up happening was we actually informed the mayor. She just forgot. Mm-hmm. And it turned into a whole situation where people were trying to take down our website. They're flagging us on Facebook and Twitter uh-huh. because I don't know, these folks were just very 
ardent supporters of this particular person and they had none of the facts and they, they weren't even aware that like there are laws that say like I could walk down the street in the middle of the street and photograph your house and that's totally legal, right? Sure. So, so nevertheless, I'm getting messages and I'm trying and trying to dispel these myths and rumors and um, this went on for two days and then the mayor just said, oh yeah, sorry, I, yeah, they did inform me, no big deal. And it was at that point where I had to handle all of that on my own impromptu and just improvise everything that I said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done managing the social media account, find someone else to do it. And, um, you know, that, that kind of situation was really unfortunate just for how small it was, yeah. but those, those things happen all the time. And, um, you know, now that I'm reading through the book, I'm like, wow, you know, I did a few things right, but I did a lot of things wrong. <laughs> I wish well, I would have had the book in advance. <laughs> and look at the, at the, the wrong things are so often an absence, right? Like it's not some, it's usually not someone going out and doing something incorrectly. It's yeah. usually not doing a thing. Right. Like it's usually there, there's like a step or a conversation or a something put into place that that's just missing. And that kind of goes back to the whole thing that we we're talking about earlier about the challenge of being this lone wolf in the social media space. Like so many of us are is this continuing education we have is critical because we have to catch a lot of our own mistakes and support our own communities and, and help each other that way because that because those are the people that are going to say like oh have you did you have you ever used this checklist for um you know for this kind of announcement or right. um have you ever uh, whenever i notify a public official uh because it's a big part of my job i always send an initial communication and then a follow-up where the chief of staff is copied or you know like it's little thing i'm totally making all of that up, by the way in case anybody's like taking a note of like oh should i do that but but it's things like that where you in this community you have people that will raise their hand and say yes i've been there and mm -hmm. um and and it, it's these little things that can help with but your story is such a great example because it it couldn't have been predicted i'm just gonna guess nobody's gonna argue that right couldn't have been predicted and it burned out an employee so that's another, well, I mean, you were a volunteer, but, but like uh, strategically, like the way right. to think of it is like you, you ended up losing a person over it simply because it, um, it, it does get very stressful. And, you know, so on that note later, I learned that uh, this particular mayor has had an ax to grind against my organization for whatever reason. So she, I, she may have like set us up right to burn us in, in that mm. respect and then a lot of the folks that i talked to all we really had to do was basically put out a webinar and that that covered all the ground and people were like oh well why did the mayor make such a big deal of this like this is nothing this is a great thing and they felt manipulated and that actually caused some backlash on on that person's front so mm. um you know this leads me into into the next uh, sort of question I had for you um, related to uh, being a social media manager and a, and a strategist and how you have to manage your mental health. Mm. Um, you know, this whole, this past year, I mean, there's been any number of different types of, of emergencies and crisis comms work that's had to be done. And it seems like a couple times a week, I'm reading posts from social media managers that are just like, I'm so burnt out. I, I don't know what, why am I even in this line of work? And my heart breaks for them because like, they shouldn't have to feel that way. And after that experience with my nonprofit, like I understand where they're coming from, but uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the, you know, the need to moderate and manage your mental health as a social media professional? Yeah, you know, and I, it's so personal um, that it always comes down to someone knowing themselves well and honoring that knowledge. So we have a couple of courses on NISM. I think we have one full course and then one webinar that specifically talks about 
mental health and it provides tips because one of our um, NISM educators is also a career coach. She's actually uh, in Germany um, and she uh, has kind of made it her, her life's work, um, this coaching um, element, but has, has always had a strong tie as a certified strategist herself uh, to this, to this particular community. And the, First and foremost, it is acknowledging that what works for you may not work for someone else. So it's, right. it's being continuously open to different ideas. And I always recommend that people consider two simple buckets. And the, the, the one bucket is if they just need an emotional um, support of some kind, or if they need the other bucket, a solution. Mm -hmm. And I saw this on a meme once and I thought it was so funny. And it was a girlfriend texting her boyfriend. And I can't even remember what the problem was, but he literally texted back and said something to the effect of, um, do you need me to agree with you and support you? Or do you need me to help you find a solution? It was like, he really, they, and I was like, oh, relationship goals, right? Because that's, <laughs> a, that's so honest of like, I just need to know what space you're in because it's cool if you need to cry or yell or use so much profanity that we have to make sure there aren't children with an earshot or like whatever you need, because sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes I get into like a mood where I just need to rant about like all these, and it doesn't last, but it has to happen, right? Cause there's that, that human piece of it. So having a community whether it's a person or a platform um, like higher ed social yeah. where people won't just nod and then move on with their day. Talking to people that actually understand what you're saying is huge. That actually understand how crushing it is to be incredibly successful with something and not be acknowledged or to work incredibly hard on something related to a social media post and have one teeny tiny thing not go perfectly and have that the only thing that gets discussed or, or acknowledged. Um, it's a, it's having that emotional support and that, and it's usually in the form of community is huge. The other piece is the solution side and it's figuring out where, where you're balanced at, right? Some people need 70% emotion, 30% solution. Some people like me, I need 10% emotion, 90% solution. Right. It's having the, that group of people where when you need that help, you can reach out. Uh, higher at social, we just had a post the other day where someone posted a very tactical, practical question about, um, hey, every time I go on vacation, I still get 10 or 15 messages from my boss about something happening on social media. I can't get out of the office because we're, 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 uh, we're always, we're online. So we're, we're always available. So what do I say? What do I do? Like, how do, how do I manage that? Your community can, can help you set up those boundaries and related even to that specific example. Sometimes you have to go and tell people, just like when you go back to school, you have to go and tell people, I am going to be on vacation. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to go to the mountains where I have no reception to get you to leave me alone. You know, like I, right. I, I just, you know, I am a human person. I have the right to do this. So here's how I have set things up so that you'll be okay while I'm gone. And whether it's like assigning um, someone to answer questions in your absence or whether right. it, you know, like how you, you manage that is, is huge. You sort of need a governance or an operations document to, yeah. to clarify all of that. And I'm fully in support of that. And I feel like that that is just in mass is something that it, it does not exist. Yeah. Uh, Especially yeah. in the one person shops where the, and, and it's hard to explain what you do every day because you do so much stuff on autopilot uh, and because you can't predict you know, or it feels like it, but sometimes you can just have that conversation with someone and even talking about like what a green, yellow, red, 
uh, phone call is, you know, if, you know, I would expect if I was on vacation and there was a red, yellow, red level emergency that they would call me and I would probably be okay with it. But what is our definition? Do we have the same definition of what a red level emergency is, you know, and, and it's getting, getting that clarified. One of the things that I, I deal with with my team is that we are all connected at all times to our accounts. And that, you know, there's, there's two point people. Um, I oversee everything. And then we have one that does the graduate school and then one that does the undergraduate. And we just sort of collectively monitor all of those things. So like if it's a Sunday morning and my one uh, colleague is at church and something happens, like I can, I can be that part redundancy to check that, right? Um, and then, so we're still kind of figuring it out too. It's pretty balanced right now. And then the other thing was like, Hey, you know, if, if you happen to find yourself like on a Saturday afternoon, having to manage our account and it takes you an hour, like just take an hour off during the regular working hours, you know, so you can substitute hours that you lose in your personal time, uh, during the, the working hours. And well, and this is a team you lead, right? Yes. In a sense. Yeah. So, because the other piece I was going to add is if you have a role where you have some kind of leadership component, whether it's formal or informal, the other piece is following your own advice publicly. So Mm -hmm. when you had to work for two hours on Saturday, say, oh, hey, everybody, and I'm going to knock off a couple hours early on Thursday because I worked over the weekend, because that's the other piece that social media strategists do, that that martyrdom is really big, you know, having to be constantly accessible. Right. And, and one of the ways of shining a light on the fact that you really don't, the world won't end if you are not constantly accessible, like it is for leaders to take that time back and to rest right. and rejuvenate. Yep. That's a great idea. I like that. I like that you shift that time around. You can put it in the next book. I oh, will. Making a note. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Amy, we're, we're coming to the end of our time together. Thank you so much for, for your amazing insights and uh, sharing your, your wisdom and experience with uh, the folks that are listening to the podcast. If they want to get a hold of you or learn more information about NISM, uh, and the certification exams and et cetera. Uh, how can they get a hold of you? How can they find you? Yeah. So uh, to learn more about NISM, you should visit, visit us at nismonline.org. Um, and you are all welcome to email me directly at ajauman. So that's A-J-A-U-M-A-N at nismonline.org. And through nismonline.org, uh, you can get to all of our continuing ed classes. We have twice monthly free webinars on a variety of social media topics. Uh, and then once you get connected in that way, uh, you get onto our email distribution list. We provide updates, all kinds of good stuff that way. So just connect through the website. We're happy to have you in the community. Awesome. Thanks again, Amy. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.